If you will now turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 11, we're continuing our series through our Lord's parables in Luke's gospel. And we call, come to the one I'm calling the parable of the persistent friend. And this one's all about prayer, prayer, that great neglected blessing and opportunity for so many Christians. Prayer is God's invitation for us to spend time with him, to have our needs met in him. But many Christians would say this is one of their biggest spiritual struggles to really walk the walk in prayer. Now, have you ever been in a new group of people and somebody does one of those icebreaker questions? This one I've seen on a couple of occasions where somebody will ask, of all the living people on earth right now, who would you most want to have dinner with? And when I hear that question, it's a fine question to get people talking, to get people to know each other. But when I think about who would I most want to have dinner with on earth, I think about my wife, Joy. That's who I most want to have dinner with. That's why I married her 34 years ago. (laughs) Let's eat together. But I know what they're doing. It's a great question. They want us all to think about some famous person, some actor, some athlete, some politician, that it would be just an awesome privilege to have dinner. But I'm still stuck. I can't come up with anybody because there's nobody that awes me like that among people who are on the earth. But here's the real problem. When I think about having dinner with some person, it might be interesting to eat with. I know that that person has no interest in eating with me, right? (laughs) Think about a second. If you won some contest and you were going to have dinner with some famous person, you're all excited about it, but there's no excitement on their side. They're asking their agent, why did we do this? How long do I have to stay with this? Who is it? Well, how long do I got to be there? It's 20 minutes, right? I can be in and out of there. They are not excited. And so I, I have a hard time with that. But can contrast that with this enormous privilege of prayer that we get to meet with God Almighty, our creator, our savior. We get to meet with him. And notice this, he wants to meet with us. In fact, prayer is his idea. In fact, we just acknowledge that, that prayer is one of the great struggles for many Christians it's, it's clear to us that God wants to spend time with us more than we typically want to spend time with him because we neglect prayer. So what does it mean when I choose TV or choose sports or choose all these other things rather than time in prayer? It's clearly that I'd rather do other things than be in his presence. And here's God saying, I want you to be with me. We're going to learn a lot about prayer together here. This is wonderful. Revelation 3.20. Just hear how how God wants you in his presence. Revelation 3.20, spoken to Christians in Laodicea, Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. That's Jesus taking the initiative. I want you to open up. So I hope this morning you will sense Jesus knocking on your heart's door and that you will hear his voice. You'll open up to him. First to For him to be your savior, if today you're realizing, oh, I'm a sinner, I need Jesus to forgive me, he's willing to do it. I hope you'll open up to that invitation. But then believers, that you will open up to a deeper walk with Jesus marked by growing in prayer. So our parable today that we're taking on is all about prayer. Here's our context now, Luke 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord... Teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So Jesus is praying. 
his disciples were overhearing this. They would have heard this on a number of occasions already. And how thrilling to hear Jesus pray. And we know something of his prayer life because some of these prayers are recorded in the New Testament for us. But can you imagine being there and just overhearing Jesus talk to the Father? How intimate that praying must have been. How powerful that praying. So it's understandable the disciples overhearing this, hey, Jesus, teach us to pray like that. I mean, John the Baptist has taught his disciples to pray. Nobody better than Jesus. We just heard you teach us to pray. And I hope that's your heart this morning, that you would learn to pray like he's offering for us. You do know that every relationship rises and falls on the basis of good communication. And it's true in your relationship with God. I hope you're listening to God in your life. And we do that primarily through opening the Bible. I mean, here you are right now, 11 o'clock service, and you're either tuning in or you're in the room. You want to hear from God. Now, you don't hear what, what I have to say, but we open up the scriptures together that we can hear God. But I hope you're doing it all through the week, that you're opening up the Bible to listen to God. The Christian who rarely opens his Bible during the week is like a person in a relationship with his hands over his ears going, I don't really want to hear you. I don't want to hear you. I don't hear you. What else could that mean? Because we have the very words of God available to us. We can open it up even on our devices to hear from God. So I hope you're saying, God, I want to hear from you. I'm going to every day, I want to hear from you. But likewise, in this communication with God, I hope we're talking to him that and in prayer, this amazing, enormous privilege that you're taking every opportunity. Again, Jesus knocking on your heart this morning that you would open up to him to grow in your walk with him. So Jesus now responds to the request, Lord, teach us to pray with some teaching on prayer. First thing we're going to note together is this, the very personal nature of prayer, the personal nature of prayer. So prayer is not like submitting a work order or a service request. Prayer is not like when your heat goes out and you make a phone call to the HVAC company. It's not merely that. Notice how personal, notice how gut level praying is as Jesus describes it. Verse two, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Jesus says first, when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father. Most of us, when we were first encouraged to pray, somebody in our lives, because we, most of us have a Christian background of some measure, somebody told us, well, pray like this and talk to him. He's your father. And that's wonderful. But if you think about when Jesus first taught this, this was quite revolutionary. Israel did think of God as their father, kind of in a corporate sense. He's, he's the father of Israel. But to pray so personally as this, people didn't do it. And so Jesus prays like that. And of course, we say, well, Jesus is the unique son of God. Of course, he's God, the son. He's going to talk with intimacy like that. But notice here, they say, teach us to pray. He says, you need to pray like that. You pray with this intimacy. You call him father like I'm calling him father. Now, not everybody can call God father. Only those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ can talk to God in this personal way. Remember, Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but through me. Remember in John chapter 1, to many as received him, Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. So not everybody's a child of God, but if you come through the Son, you become a child of God. And you have this amazing privilege to draw close to God. You can call him Father. 
Recently, my daughter Lindsay got interested in the royal family, watching some documentaries and things, and she had the idea that she wanted to write to Princess Anne. And so to write Princess Anne, she had to learn the address, but also the etiquette. How do you write to a princess? And so I had to, I had to mail this for her. I don't know what was in the letter, but the envelope said this, Her Royal Highness, the Princess Royal Anne. That's pretty wordy. That's pretty wordy. And I just looked at some of these other ways that how do you talk to royalty? Well, to the queen, you'd reference her majesty or to a duke, the most noble, his grace or to a duchess, the most noble, her grace. But listen, through Christ, we get to go to God as father. None of that distant type language, we get to go to him as father. In fact, we're told elsewhere that we can even cry out Abba, father. And some have said maybe the best translation of Abba to us in our language would be like daddy. So that very familiar, how young children would call out to the father, very much a family way of talking. In fact, this is how Jesus talked to the father on another occasion, Mark 14, 36. And he said, Abba, father. All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. We're told to pray that way, Abba, Father, in places like Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Just seeing our Lord is telling us prayer, it's to be very personal. But not only that, Jesus gives us a pattern for prayer. So notice the pattern for prayer here. So you might ask the question, what would I say to God? So let's imagine if we were invited to dinner with some celebrity driving there, I would be thinking, what do I talk about? I mean, what do you bring up? Well, here, here Jesus answers the question, what do you talk about to almighty God, your creator, your savior? What do you say? Well, here he says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread and forgive our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. So you've noticed this is an abbreviated version of the Lord's prayer. As I've read this a couple of times now in this message, you're thinking some phrases are missing there. Where are those other familiar phrases there? But this is an abbreviated version of it. Jesus tells the full version of it as we know it in Matthew chapter six and elsewhere. But here Jesus gives these points here. Still the main idea of it, the key elements of the prayer here. And see, so here are some things that should be a part of your regular praying. The first thing, did you notice, is praise. Praise. Father, hallowed be your name. What does that mean to hallow something? It means to treat as holy. So yes, he's Abba, Father, the one we can come to so close, almost we could say, Daddy, we're really close to him, knowing he loves us, but we don't come casually to him. We certainly don't treat God like our peer and we dare not treat him like he's our butler where we're just sending him on errands for ourselves. No, no, Lord, hallowed be your name. You are my father and you are great. You're perfect in all of your attributes. As I think about your holiness, I think about your power and your wisdom and your knowledge and your love. There's nobody like you as we just sang together. Oh, we we're going to bring, bring praise. Now, notice with me, God doesn't need our praise. It's not like God is emotionally needy and he needs us on a tough day to just say nice things about him. His love language is not words of affirmation. He's not needing that from us. He's got everything 
everything that he needs. When we're praising him, it's just right. It would be sinful for us to know who he is and I'm not going to give you praise. That's just sin on our part. This is what you do with the mouth he gave you. That's what you do with the heart he gave you. You were made to glorify God. So that's just what we do. But also, have you noticed it's good for you? If you're engaged with praise, even in here, when we're singing these wonderful praise songs to God, there's joy in it when you realize what you're saying. And in your own prayer life, when you're spending time, God, you're amazing. You're great. I can't believe you love me like you love me. You washed all my sins away. Your mercy, all that. In fact, isn't it wonderful? Your, your, your joy rises when you praise him, when you realize, I know you. And also your confidence rises. You're about to bring requests to him. And you're starting out in praise like you have all power, all wisdom, all knowledge. You're right here with me. And, and you're, you're realizing whatever big thing I'm bringing is not big to him. Nothing is too difficult for him. Praise is great for us. So Jesus says prayer is going to be involving praise, also surrender. Our father is a king. One of the things we're to pray about is this. Jesus says, pray this way, your kingdom come. So that's a great statement of awareness when you realize I, I belong to God and I'm a part of his kingdom. My life is to fit inside of his kingdom. It's a great statement also of surrender. Lord, I, I want to fit into what you're doing. Many people have it backwards. They're asking a great God to get involved in their little kingdom. Hey, God, I need your help. I need your blessings. As I go chase around the little idols of my life, I hope you'll bless me in this. Whereas the opposite is true. God, I, I'm, I'm enthralled and captivated by your kingdom. I want your will to be done in my life and in my family and in my school and where I work and in nations all over the world. You deserve glory and praise there. Lord, your kingdom come. So we're praising him. We're surrendering to him. We're also bringing our request. Notice what he says here. Verse three, give us each day our daily bread. So it pleases the Lord when you and I recognize our limitations and our need, and we just bring need after need after need to him. Don't feel like you're being spiritual when you say, well, I don't bring these things to God. You know, I don't want, he's so busy. No, you, you were supposed to. It's a great display of faith when, when you go to your father with all of your needs. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So we're praising, we're surrendering, we're bringing our many requests to him. And also Jesus says, you're going to be praying for forgiveness and for victory. You're going to pray for forgiveness and victory. Verse 4 again, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. So our father knows that we struggle greatly with sin. He knows it already. He knows that every moment of our lives, practically, we're dealing with some type of temptation. He knows about it. And Jesus says, when you're talking to the father, talk about that. It's a big part of your life. Don't neglect that. Don't try to hide that. Lord, I need your help. And because we all stumble and fall, I need your forgiveness. This is a, a regular part of praying. It's those things we did or thought or said that we shouldn't have. And those things we should have done that we've refused to do in all kinds of directions. Lord, I need your forgiveness. And listen, we know that our salvation is not on the line as Christians. Once you've already been born again and saved, all your sins, past, present, and future, all of them already dealt with at the cross. You already stand forgiven. You already stand righteous in Christ. So, so why do we keep asking for forgiveness? Because we're in a relationship with the Father. 
And we don't want to be estranged from him. We don't want to be stubborn in our sins. And so, so salvation is not on the line for the Christian when they stumble. But listen, blessing is on the line. The joy of the Lord is on the line. The strength that we need to live this life is on the line. And so we naturally don't want to leave a distance from us and God. When we sin, quickly as possible, Lord, I was so wrong. Would you forgive me? And aren't you glad he does? 1 John 1, 9, here's a promise to Christians. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we are to ask for forgiveness and we are to ask God to help us overcome our temptations. Lead us not into temptation. Not that God ever would entice you to sin, but it's a way of in your time of, of prayer to the Lord, asking forgiveness. And Lord, please don't lead me anywhere near that. As I follow you, Lord, I don't want to fall back into that familiar sin pattern anymore. And so you're strategizing with God in prayer. It's a great time to spend time with them talking about that. But then notice this one, and we really don't like this one. Jesus says, bring up your need to forgive other people when you talk to the Father. And forgive us our sins. We like that. Here's where we struggle. For we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us. We said that does not come naturally to us. Let me remind you, when we're forgiving other people, that does not mean that we're saying what they did was no big deal. That didn't matter. No, it does matter. It was a big deal. Some things people might have done to you or were horrendous and terribly painful, scars. And yet we're told in, in the presence of the Lord, take your broken heart to him. Take your bitter heart to him and forgive these people, everybody in your life. Even though it was a real grievous thing, you're taking that to God, that God has forgiven you so much, and he wants to take that from you, where you say, God, I'm just going to release this person into your hands. Some really bad things were done to me and, and said about me, whatever. I give them over to you. Vengeance is yours. You will repay. I'm not going to think about vengeance. I'm not going to think ill things toward them. When they come to mind, I'm just going to shift this back to you over and over again, because I have released it. I have forgiven it, and I give it over to you. Hey, just in a moment of practical application here, who comes to mind when I mention that? This call to forgive other people, to maybe wrestle through that with God in prayer regularly, who comes to mind? And I just want to encourage you, take that person's name and that incident, take it to the Lord. He wants to hear about it. He wants to help you release that, that you wouldn't be a slave to that any longer. But what kind of things are you praying about? Here's Jesus saying, come personally, call him Father, pray about these things. What have you been praying about? Maybe one of the reasons we struggle with prayer and we get bored with it is maybe this. We forgot who we've been talking to, that this is God Almighty. I've been praising him. Then prayer can get kind of dull. Or maybe prayer has become boring for you and you've avoided it because you've just been praying about really little things. A neighbor shares a prayer request on Facebook about their cat. It's kind of the extent of your prayer life. And I don't mean don't pray for their cat, but good night. So many other things you can pray about. No wonder you'd be bored if it's just prayed about pets. Listen, you've got big needs that you're taking before the Lord. Listen, this need for forgiveness is big and this God is great and praise. And there are nations that need to hear the gospel all over the world and missionaries need to be sent. And so these are big things that'll take you out of a prayer rut when you're praying like this. So prayer is to be personal. There's a pattern for it. And now the parable. There's a parable here and Jesus is gonna give us another element that needs to be in our prayer lives and it's this. Through this parable, he's going to teach us that prayer is to be persistent and consistent. Verse 5. And he said to them, which of you 
who has a friend will go into him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me for the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So here we come to a story that Jesus tells. It involves three friends, a traveling friend, a hosting friend, and a neighboring friend. And so it's a really true-to-life story that Jesus tells from that Middle Eastern culture how this probably happened with some regularity. Somebody's going to show up needing hospitality. Hospitality is still huge in that part of the world. And uh, you can imagine there a couple of thousand years ago how important it was. So you can have friends dropping in on you, and you never know they're going to come. They can't text you. Think about it. They have no cell phones. They can't email you that I'm coming. And so everybody knew somebody could be dropping on. A friend could be coming through. And they would travel in the cool of the day. So it would not be uncommon that they would come at a, a later hour. So you can imagine in a situation like this that Jesus tells a family would go to bed thinking, you know, we've, we've eaten the bread. We've eaten, we'll bake more in the morning and we'll take care of our needs for the next day. And oh, this happens to be the time that friends come late at night. But you know what to do. I, I have to feed them. Think about it. Weary travelers in difficult first century, they're going to need food and water at the time of their arrival. So you just know what to do. We're just going to go to the neighbor. This is my friend. I'm his friend. I got this friend over here. They probably still have some bread. I'm going to go get it from them even at this hour. Seems a little strange to us, but it's what you would do then. And so to go knock on the door and the conversation through the door, we can just imagine it. In this case, as Jesus tells the story, there's a person going, I can't help you. We're already settled in. Leave us alone. But Jesus is making the point here that we need to be audacious enough. That's that word impudence. Be audacious enough, shameless enough to keep asking for what we need here. And I love this. This is one of those parables where once again, Jesus tells us the meaning. We don't have to wonder, what does this one, how do I, how do I apply this one? He tells us exactly. I love it. Verse nine. So he tells the parable. Now he explains it. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So there's something going on here in the verb tenses where Jesus says, ask and seek and knock. In the original language, present active imperative tense, meaning there's ongoing nature here. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. So Jesus presents prayer as something that you're going to keep on doing. You're going to stay in a continuous conversation with the Lord. Three words here he uses to describe prayer. Ask. You're going to ask him to meet your many needs and keep doing it. Seek. You're going to seek God's blessings. You're going to seek his wisdom and his answers. You're going to seek his direction. You're seeking his kingdom, as we already talked about. You're seeking God himself. And he says, knock. And it calls to mind this parable he just gave us. I need something and I'm going to keep knocking and keep asking because I just have to have your help. Now, the point of this parable is not that God is reluctant to help you. 
So Jesus is telling the story to make the one point, persistence. Stay at it. He's not making the point that, hey, I'm like that friend that doesn't want to help you. That's not at all. How do we know that's not what he's saying? Because everything he's saying around this. Notice he tells you what this means. I want you to ask and keep on asking and seeking and knocking. I want you to do this. Don't leave me alone. Keep asking. That's the point. And we learn this elsewhere in the scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So in prayer, we're asking, seeking, and knocking because we must have God, his presence, his leadership, his help. And we're promised that God will answer. He's not reluctant to answer. He wants to answer. Notice what he says. If you will ask, it'll be given to you. If you seek, you're going to find. And if you're knocking, it will be open to you. Now, of course, that does not mean that God gives up control when we start praying. Some people act like that, that if I start praying to God, he has to do what I say. It's almost like the roles flip. I become the Lord and he becomes my butler. He's got to do what I say because he said, no, that's not what he means. Because God still retains his lordship. He still loves you. And sometimes he will say, wait. Sometimes he will say no. So let's talk a moment about that. What might it mean when I make a request and I'm asking and seeking and knocking and he seems to be saying no? Well, a number of reasons that might happen. One of them is this. God might know that you're asking something that's not best for you. All of us can think of times in our lives, perhaps, when we ask for something fervently of God that we really, really wanted at the time. And God said no. And we're glad he said no. Can you think of a time like that? I really thought I wanted that. I am really glad now that he did not answer the prayer the way I was asking. I remember years ago when I was about 12, I wanted a BB gun, a BB rifle. My buddy Mike Edwards had one, I wanted one. And so I asked my parents for one. Now my parents are divorced, they've been divorced since I was four. And I remember this was kind of a tense moment as I saw it as a, as a 12 year old making the request because my dad who lives four hours, four hours away in Charlotte, he said, that'll be fine. But my stepdad in Rocky Mount where I live with my mom, he goes, I don't think that's a good idea. No, we're not gonna do that. So I really want, how's this going to go down? I got these two dads, you know, who gets to make the shot, call the shot. Well, my stepfather called the shot and you know what? He was right. Let me tell you why I know my stepfather was right. When Mike Edwards and I would play with his BB rifle, we were stupid with it. We knew not to shoot each other in the eye, but that didn't keep us from playing tag with it. In other words, one guy's running, the other one's shooting at his ankles. We're, like, we're aiming for ankles. We're not stupid. We, we, we know that. So we're just shooting each other in the ankles and it, it did sting and it made you want to run. And then the guy who would get a, you get away from him, you'd hide around the corner. And then when you come around with a BB gun, you'd tackle him, take the BB gun, wrestle out of his arms. And then he's running from you and you're shooting at his ankles. A lot more fun. And then, um, <laughs> but we're, we're so wise as 12 year olds. We're not shooting at the eyes. You just don't do that. We knew that. We're mature enough to handle this until Mike goes up on his garage in the backyard. He's hiding from me. Don't know where he is. I spot him up on his garage and I'm shooting up now at him at his ankles, but BB's ricochet. And I hear him go, ow, ow, okay. That one hit me in the head. That one hit me in the head. At least then we had the brilliance to stop the game. Now we realize, okay, things can, things could happen. We didn't anticipate. It just illustrates, you know, in hindsight, you know, I think my stepfather was onto something. <laughs> he knew it wasn't bright enough to handle it, at least not without some supervision in those days. So God can say no like that. This is not best for you. I have something else for you. Another reason God might say no or wait is God is growing you and teaching you through the, through the adversity that he leaves in your life. 
We know this because remember Paul had that thorn in the flesh we read about in the scriptures in 2 Corinthians 12. And, and God told him, listen, and, and Paul knew this is to keep me from exalting myself, to keep me from being arrogant. God left this difficulty. Paul said, I prayed three times. Has to mean three intense times for God to take whatever that torment was from him. And God wouldn't do it. In fact, God said this to him, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. And God can do that for us. I hear you. I love you, but I'm going to leave it right there because I'm, I'm working something in you. I'm growing you through this. God also can draw you into a more intimate walk with him by leaving some things that you want out of your life, leaving them in your life. This is embarrassing about us, but isn't it true? When we're going through adversity, we tend to pray better. It's like, we're not neglecting prayer now. Life hurts. And so I am in his presence and I'm, I mean, I'm opening the Bible. Nobody's having to exhort us to do it when we're going through hardship. But things get a little easier and we find ourselves not praying that much, not reading the Bible that much if we don't have discipline. And, and the Lord can leave some things in there because he loves you. I want, to, I want to hold you close. I want to grow you through this season. Another thing that God can do when he says no or, or wait, he might steer you through circumstances. And many of us have had that experience where something we prayed for, it's not seeming to answer like I'm asking. He closes a door. And that means we're to pivot away to some other situation and he opens a door and maybe in time we realize I can see what God was doing. I still don't like it. It still hurt, but, but I at least see this, that he was closing a door to move me to some other thing. And then another reason God might say, no, let's just acknowledge is discipline. We're told in the scriptures that sometimes we don't ask or we don't have because we ask with wrong motives. Sometimes we don't have because we don't ask at all, but sometimes we ask with wrong motives. The scripture says, and God, I'm, I'm not going to feed your greed there. I'm not going to feed that in your life, whatever it is. And certainly if we're living in rebellion against God, why would we think he's going to be answering our prayers? So we need to stay humble and repenting of our sins that we can have this good relationship with him. But even when God seems to be saying no, even when God seems to be saying, wait, at least he's telling us, keep asking, keep coming into my presence, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, keep coming to me. In fact, our fervency in prayer shows up in our intensity, but also in our consistency. This is one way we're displaying to God, Lord, I really need this. I really mean this. I keep coming to you with this burden, with this hurt in my life. I'm, I'm still coming to you. This is what it looks like to pray fervently. When our children were younger, sometimes they would begin asking for Christmas presents right after Christmas, it felt like. You get into February, March, and they've already, hey, you know, I think for Christmas, I'd like to have this. And it's just interesting. We certainly didn't go shopping in March for Christmas in those days. But just, I mean, okay, that's one of the things that they might be interested in. But we know they might change their minds 20 to 30 times by the time December rolls around. But it was noteworthy if in March or April they're talking about it. And then August, still mentioning that thing. And September, still interested in that thing. I think I know that they're serious about that one. Then we might go shopping for it. There's some things in our lives that are so urgent, so critical, we should not stop asking of the Lord. Things like the salvation of somebody that you care about. So much is on the line, whether or not they trust in Jesus, that's heaven and hell on the line. And so we should never stop praying. Even if it's been years you've been asking, keep, keep asking. Or for a prodigal to come home, maybe you have a wayward child and they don't know Jesus. They, they did something when they were little, but clearly they don't know Jesus now. And you're longing for them to come to Christ. Keep praying for them or physical healing for you or somebody you love. And he doesn't seem to be answering. It still pleases the Lord that you're asking him and you're seeking or maybe for a relationship to be restored. Keep coming to him. And then this notice here, a wonderful promise in verse 13. If you then who are evil, 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Here's a great promise. The thing you need most, now that you are in Christ and your soul has been saved, the thing you need more now than anything is the person of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's wonderful that the Holy Spirit already lives in you. You are, as the scripture says, already, if you're a Christian, a temple of the Holy Spirit. He is resident in you, but the scripture exhorts you to be full of the Holy Spirit. And so you can ask the Lord in prayer, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Take over my life. Rule in me. Make me more like Christ. He promises you ask for the Holy Spirit. He will be given to you. Think about it. Everything you need in your Christian life, you need from the Holy Spirit the one who is already in you. When you yield to him, being full of the spirit as the scripture exhorts, he produces his fruit in you. That fruit we read about in Galatians 5, love and joy and peace and patience and all the fruit of the spirit. The Holy Spirit is also called the comforter. And you and I need a lot of comfort in this difficult life. And we go to the Lord in prayer and we say, oh Lord, help me, comfort me. And the Holy Spirit will comfort you and guide you and empower you for this life and this mission that we've been called to. So let me ask you this as we apply this. What are some steps you can take today or this week to pray like Jesus has taught us to pray here? One word I would give you is this. Set a time to meet with God in prayer. Of course, pray with him on the go and and without ceasing, as the scripture said, but to pray like Jesus prayed here, you should set an alarm, put it on your calendar. I, I meet with God at this time for some undistracted prayer. Really, even if it's five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, I I just need to block everything. I'm going to hear the word of God and I'm going to talk to him. I just need to schedule it. For many people, the morning is the absolute best time before the day gets crazy to get his strength and perspective before the day. Perfect time. But no guilt trip here. Some of you are not morning people and I wasn't for years. And so my time with the Lord used to be in the evenings at bedtime. I grew pretty rapidly in the Lord praying and reading the Bible at bedtime. So if that works for you, do it. Main thing is when are you going to meet with God to pray like this and to enjoy your father? Do that. But then of course, rise up from that prayer time. And in a sense, keep talking to him. Walk with him all through the day, bringing everything that happens up to him in prayer. Maybe you say, I I don't know what to talk about. Luke 11 right here can help you. Matthew 6 to, to think through and apply the Lord's prayer. How about the book of Psalms? It's full of songs and prayers, and it'll teach you how to pray in a very real way. To even ask questions of God. How do you ask the questions? The ones you have, like how, how long or why, Lord? The psalmists pray like that and pour out their hearts, and you can learn to pray from the Psalms. But here's this, we're back to the gospel. If you're gonna talk to God at all, you need to be a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Again, no one comes to the Father, but through Jesus. And so today, if you have not already, ask the Lord to forgive you for your sins. Ask Jesus to be the Lord and the savior of your life. Tell him you're trusting him because he died for you, was raised from the dead. Put your faith in Jesus. In so doing, you become a child of God with this great privilege of prayer. And then Christian, walk in that walk of intimacy and power in a life of prayer. Let's pray together.